Our reading is from 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your scriptures that have been handed down to us over thousands of years, faithful witnesses who've carried that testimony, Lord. And Lord, we this morning would open your word and would learn more of you. But Lord, we thank you as well for the living word, the Lord Jesus, and by your Holy Spirit, make him real to us, each one, this morning we pray. Amen. The title I was given for this morning talk is Grieving According to the Gospel. And that follows on from the first part of our reading this morning, doesn't it? If you've got a Bible, it'll be helpful to keep it open. Probably for some of us, some of us who've had someone close to us die, this morning's talk might bring back memories and feelings that are difficult. We're talking about grieving. We'll come on to open the subject more later. But it might hit a raw nerve, and I'll say right now that it's certainly not my intention to intensify those feelings of grieving or, or bereavement. But there are people here who will be able to pray with you afterwards. We have a prayer ministry team who will be only too pleased to pray with you afterwards. And on a more ongoing basis, if you need to talk to someone on a longer-term basis, there are people at Christchurch who are ready to listen to you. We have a bereavement group that does meet. So... Don't feel you've got to go through it alone. Speak to one of us and we can put you in touch with someone in our church who can help. So, this morning we'll be looking at grieving after bereavement. What hope is there for now? What hope is there for the future? And then, so what? I like to finish a talk with, okay, so what? We're not just here to cram our heads with knowledge, good as that is. But it's got to be out working in our everyday lives, hasn't it? It's got to change something in here as well, in our walk with Jesus. So let's look at this subject briefly, grieving after bereavement. Our Bible reading starts with the words, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, who have no hope. Note that the Scriptures doesn't say do not grieve and if someone tells you that Christians should be happy and smiley and never grieve or be sad well don't listen to them grief is a natural reaction it's the way we made that makes us grieve 
You don't have to go around pretending Christians are normal people, well, most of them, and, and do grieve when someone dies. Do you remember the story in the Gospels when Lazarus, a close friend of Jesus, had died? Jesus came near to the place where Lazarus was buried and he saw the others weeping and he himself was overcome with tears. And so we read the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus entered into this whole mess of death. And if the Son of God needed to weep on such an occasion, we need have no shame of tears we might shed. When someone close to us dies, there can be a whole mix of emotions, can't there? There might possibly be a, an initial feeling of general numbness. We're lost for words, maybe not having an explanation or any answers. People have come up with various stages that we can go through when we're grieving, where emotions like shock, denial, um, anxiety, depression can come along. You're probably already familiar with this this line of thinking. And it can be helpful to talk through with someone who's who's experienced in helping us through these various emotions wherever we're at. They may very likely be loose ends because most of us aren't ready for when death comes to a a close friend or relative, are we? There can be regrets. If only we'd said or done such a thing or if only we'd not said or done a certain thing. A prayer book came across, said something helpful, most prayer books do. We cannot now put that right in the face-to-face with that loved one, but we can always come before God and ask forgiveness, for he is gentle and full of compassion. And there follows this prayer, if only, Lord God, if only we had taken time, if only we'd said more, if only we'd said less, we confess to you our regrets. We acknowledge what is past in this moment. Give us grace to receive and to offer forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Maybe some of us here are at that stage of still wanting to put something right, but it's hard to do that now. Why not bring that to God? Possibly using the words of this prayer or a prayer of your own. It's not too late to meet with God and talk with him and ask him, for forgiveness if there are things that we should have done differently. Everyone's grief journey is different, isn't it? You are you and the situation you go through will be different from someone else's. We need to walk our own particular journey with the various emotions that will be thrown up along the way. And at times like these, we particularly need to keep ourselves open to God and his leading and healing, to be aware of his presence and how he seeks to restore us. It might seem like the end, and things will be different. Of course they will. But we can meditate on passages like a verse from Psalm 71, which says, Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. Let's sit in the gentle comfort of those words and others like them. Let them slowly percolate into our minds and hearts. Meditate on passages like Psalm 23. I'm due to be reading Psalm 23 at a funeral in a couple of weeks' time. Where we hear of God going with us through that dark valley of the shadow of death and bringing us through it, God will be with us in it. And we have brothers and sisters here 
who can be with us in these dark times. As I said before, we don't feel you've got to walk it alone. Brothers and sisters, we're here to support one another, to encourage one another. So, part two of our talk, what hope is there for now? As we said, our scripture reading doesn't say don't grieve, but do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. You see, the Thessalonians were living among a pagan people who thought when you died, that was it. The end. Death was final. That was the last you would see of that person. Reportedly, there was an inscription there which said, after death, no reviving. After the grave, no meeting again. The people around them had no real hope. I'd like to suggest that that's not too dissimilar from the society we live in 2,000 years later. The 20th century philosopher Bertrand Russell wrote, I believe that when I die, I shall rot. Good on you, Bertie. Always look on the bright side, mate. Actual fact, he was cremated, but the sentiment is the same, isn't it? <laughs> many, but many of the people we mix with might well express the same kind of intellectual belief. And nowadays, some funerals, and I, I hope I'm not upsetting anybody here, but the chances are I will be. I apologize in advance. Nowadays, some funerals reflect that sentiment that death is final. You're never going to see that person again. That is it. Or on the other hand, that death hasn't really happened. They're just kind of in the next room or they're still living in the wind or in the grass or in people's memories. And without any mention of God and his eternal purposes, it all starts to feel rather hollow Yes, there are uncertainties about what exactly happens to the person who has died, where the Bible isn't totally clear. But there are certainties too. And Paul was telling the Christians in Thessalonica that they shouldn't be thinking like the people around them who saw death as the end without hope. They could have hope. And what was that hope? It was founded on the resurrection of Jesus. That is why it's so important not to mess around with that doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus did rise from the dead. Yes, flesh and bones and all. Whoever it was who might want to query that, it's a foundational doctrine. And so Paul writes, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Paul, later writing to the Christians in Corinth in chapter 15, if you want to flick over to it quickly, goes on to develop this more and speaks of Christ being the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Not, Not in the grass or the wind or the trees, but in reality. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. For the Christian believer, we have this sure and certain hope that just as Jesus has been raised to life, we, they too, will be raised to life with Jesus. It all goes back to the certainty of what Jesus has done in his death and resurrection. Death will not have the last word. This sounds far better to me than some kind of wishing and talking about living on in the grass or trees or some other vague hope that some funerals sadly refer to. Maybe some of us are thinking, that's all right, that's good, but 
I'm not sure that that person I loved and who died was a Christian. And can I have this hope for them? Can there be any comfort for me? I'm reassured that God will do what is right in each case. He's not some kind of capricious God who likes to play with us like toys. He will do what is right. And another thing, maybe that person in their life that you're worried about went about wearing some kind of bravado mask, pretending they didn't need God or the gospel, but maybe they didn't share their deepest thoughts and feelings. Maybe deep down inside there was faith, even just a mustard seed-sized faith. I think there are a lot of people like that. We can't be the judges of this. And another thought, we don't know what went on in those final milliseconds of a person's life. God can have reached a person in those closing moments of someone's life, whatever their previous life may have been like. They may have encountered God and responded to him in some way we can hardly imagine. In all this, we're not the judges. God is the judge and he will do right. The Lord knows those who are his, the scriptures say, and we'll have some surprises when we get to heaven. But, and this is tremendously important, for those of us here now, make sure of your salvation. Don't put off getting right with God. You might come here week after week after week and just think, yeah, that's nice, one day, yeah, one day. Get right with God today. We can't guarantee tomorrow. Be following him as a disciple those of you Christians, let's remember the need to tell others about the salvation that Jesus offered. It's so important, so desperately important. What we've looked at so far leads us on naturally to our third point. What hope is there for the future? Back to our current passage. Jesus is coming back. One or two of our songs talked about that this morning, didn't they? Paul holds out that wonderful hope that all these things will happen when Jesus comes back. We've mentioned that foundational principle of the resurrection of Jesus. Another foundational principle is Jesus is coming back, his second coming. In our scripture, we read that Jesus' coming will be dramatic. A loud trumpet, a loud command, the voice of the archangel. And Paul talks again in Corinthians about this sort of thing. Look it up, chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we come on to that lovely scripture. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Just what this will look like, I've no idea. We're not sure. Well, I have some ideas, but we're not sure exactly what it will look like. Sometimes the Bible uses picture language and symbols. As Jesus ascended into heaven, there are two men there in white saying, why are you looking into heaven? Just as he's gone, he's going to come back in the same sort of way. Now we can theorize till the cows come home, or till Jesus comes back, what this will look like. Much ink has been spilt by Bible scholars over the years trying to put together exactly what will happen and in what order, and even sometimes with lengths of time between all of this. I'm not going to attempt to go into all that this morning. One, because I probably haven't got much more of a clue than most of us here this morning. And two, the Bible, I don't think, wants us to do that. We know that Jesus is coming back, And for his people, it will be a truly wonderful occasion. The whole of creation is waiting for it. 
When Jesus came the first time, people got it wrong, didn't they? They were looking in a palace instead of a stable. They were looking somewhere else instead of in, in Bethlehem. And my guess is that the next time he comes, most of us, or most of the Bible scholars who've spent all those hours, will have got it wrong as well. And he'll surprise us. Our hope for the future. Things will be put right. Jesus is coming back. And so we come to our final point. So what? So what? Well, we've been given hope for the present, a glimpse and hope for the future. Paul closes this section by saying that we should encourage one another with these words. I'm aware that most of what I've been saying this morning has been quite depressing. I can look out and you're looking very serious and I can understand that. But church should be also a place of encouragement when we know that we can encourage one another with these words. What words? The words we've just been hearing, that we will rise from the dead. Those who are his will be taken to be with him, and we will be there if we're still alive as well. We will be going as well. This isn't some dry-as-dust theological treatise. It's all about the wonderful hope that Jesus has made possible. Wherever we're at in our Christian lives or our bereavement journey, may we be encouraged and encourage others. I think part of that encouragement is caring for others who are struggling. I'm so thankful this is a church that does that. I've known that encouragement myself over the years, and may it long continue. Encouraging those who are struggling, struggling, whether they're struggling through bereavement or in other ways. It includes taking time to mourn with those who mourn. And let's sensitively encourage one another that this life continues into eternity. Jesus will put all things right. Those loose ends will be tied up. In conclusion, this isn't a preacher's in conclusion, this really is the end. Let's encourage others and be encouraged ourselves as we look back to what Jesus has done. Live in the reality of what he's doing in our lives and in the lives of our fellow Christians now. And look forward to that wonderful future he has for us. Amen.